Now we need to turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 10. If you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to Hebrews. Let's go back to the book of Hebrews and uh, spend the rest of the year getting through the rest of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to call your attention to verse 19 and uh, go down from verse 19 to verse 25. <clears throat> now, you know, I've been away a long time, so I'm starting to study and Got on this passage this week, and the more I studied, the more it grew. And I intended for it to be one sermon. It has turned into two sermons. So you get to see this passage this Sunday and again next Sunday. Sunday. The first part this Sunday, second part next Sunday. Hebrews chapter 10. If you found that, why don't you stand? Read together God's Word. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Read down to verse 25. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin right there. Verse 19, this is what the Bible says. <clears throat> Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Join me as we pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, come the Lord's day, we your people, and we need help. Pray that by your spirit through this word, you will minister to the hearts of men and women, brothers and sisters in Jesus, that we might be strengthened, we might be healed, that we might be made hopeful today. And so, Lord, use this time for your church. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> what do you do when you feel like you are at the end of your rope. <clears throat> what do you do when you've tried, tried real hard, and you failed miserably, maybe even failed publicly? What do you do? What do you do when you're trying to move forward and you're not sure what the future holds and there's a fog in front of you? You're not exactly sure even what the next step should be. What do you do? I think this text speaks to that. To a recalibrating, to a redreaming of the future. What is it that God has laid out for you? Now this passage, verse 19 to 25, it is one long sentence in Greek. And as I studied it, it just kept getting longer. And this one long sentence... The preacher, remember this is written by a pastor to a church, the preacher is encouraging his people to hang on to grace and determine in your heart that you're going to get up. 
He's given us now, let's reflect. It's been a little while since we've been in Hebrews. Everybody got revelation on their mind. Let's uh, go back to Hebrews. It's been a little while since we've been there. But there have been almost 10 chapters of the preacher giving an apologetic. He has a Christian apologetic. What he says is, Jesus is better. And all through Hebrews 1 through 10, he tells us what Jesus is better than. And it turns out Jesus is better than anything. And he gives us all of these reasons why our souls, why you should be joyfully satisfied in the Lord. And in chapter 10, let's get, let's get to the passage, verse 19. In verse 19, he turns the corner. You see that word, therefore? That is a corner word. You go in one direction, you hit therefore, and you change directions. And the rest of the passage, after the word therefore, in verse 19, and the rest of the passage, he tells us what to do with what we already know to be true. How do we take Christianity? <clears throat> How do we take Christianity and live joyfully in a world that is so hard and flawed and sad. How do we take what we believe about the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection, how do we take that and turn that into true joy in the life you live right now? I think it's grace and determination. Today, for the time we have together, just for a few moments, I'm going to ask you to soak up. I want you to soak up God's grace and live your life with determination. Now, when I started, when I started studying this week, I, I, sketched, uh, I, I sketched out two points real quickly. I had two points I was working on. It was going to be a good two-point sermon. Each point started growing and they became sermons in themselves. So now I cut them in half. I got one point, made it into a sermon. And what you have here in verses 19 and 20 is this foundation. You're going to see the word since, S-I-N-S-I-N-C-E. -S 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 You're going to see it twice. Those give us two foundations to stand on. And then after that, next week, we'll come back and pick up some of the practical. But let's get right to it in verse 19. Here's the first point, number one, don't. Don't forget you are part of a family. You need to not forget whether you are single, married, young, or old. That's family. You see it in verse 19? Therefore, brothers, circle the word, brothers, brothers and sisters. Here we are in the same family, bound together by the blood of Jesus might say, you, that person is not a blood relative to me. Look, you got, I got more than that. We are relatives by the blood of Jesus. That means that we've been equally forgiven, equally restored, need equal amount of grace. And God has put us in a family called Hickory Grove, joyfully brought us together to strengthen one another's hearts. We are partners we are partners in the same enterprise. We come together on Sundays for worship. Sundays, <clears throat> let's talk about what Sunday. Sunday is made for the church. It is the Lord's day, made for the Lord's people. It is made for you to gather together with other believers to lift up the name of Christ that your soul might be encouraged and strengthened 
and you might be ready for the week in front of you. We come together for worship. We trust that God is using his word and the circumstances of life and the people around us and work for our sanctification. And then we understand that we come together to worship Sunday, sanctified, and then we have a mission to live our lives with a gospel message and a gospel life, backing up what we say about Jesus with what we do for Jesus. We are members of the same household. We are partners in the same enterprise. We are, we are soldiers in the same army, not fighting one another, fighting sin. We are, how many analogies? We are players on the same team. We are musicians in the same orchestra, singers in the same choir, part of the same band. Uh, how about this? We are rowing in the same boat. All of that to say, God has given you a group of people, a church, has given you a family to care for, to love and be loved by. You, you've been given brothers and sisters in Jesus to extend grace to and have grace extended to you from. We are here to, to pray for one another, for the flourishing. You want to pray for somebody? When you pray for somebody that is a brother or sister in Christ that you maybe don't get along with, and be careful saying that you, uh, that you love somebody but don't really like them. It's, it's a weird, that's a, that's a Christian way of saying I can't stand to look at that person. Because you know you're supposed to love them, but you say, I don't like them, so I'm saying this to cover my bases, but really what I don't, I don't want to be around them. That, that's not really a Christian organization. That's not really the church. The church, when, you, when you're around people or with someone that has offended you or you really don't get along with, you pray for that person's flourishing and you rejoice in the generosity of God in that person's life, understanding that you don't deserve anything God's given you. God has given us a family to pray for, to care for, to love one another, a family to walk with. We celebrate when things are good, we walk with one another when things are bad. And what we do is we keep pressing the truth and the, and the love of God found in Jesus. We keep pressing the gospel into one another's hearts. We don't just have the gospel that saves us. The gospel sanctifies us. The gospel continues to heal us. And we keep running to the cross of Jesus. Don't forget, you are part of a family. There's something else I want you to see. It's also in verse 19. I'll try to move pretty quickly. Here's the second point, number two. <clears throat> don't forget. Don't forget the freedom of being in Christ. It is good to be a Christian. It is good to be a child of God. Join me there in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, see the word since, S-I-N-C-E. He's building a foundation. Since. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Pause. Now, now we're fixing to, we're going over the edge right down into the very heart of Christianity. You take that little sentence in verse 19 that I just read to you. I read it from left to right. That's how we read things in English. Sometimes, though, it's good if you want to get the meaning to look at it from right to left, to try to interpret, look at it, look back through the sentence. What is the sentence saying? Join me there at the end 
of verse 19. What does it say? By the blood of Jesus. We've got to start right there with the blood of Jesus. At the cross. We can never, as Christians, we can never lose language that includes blood. We cannot lose blood language in Christianity. It is the very blood of Jesus that separates the sheep from the goats. It's the blood of Jesus that separates the saved from the lost. It's the blood of Jesus that separates the living from the dead. It is the bloody death of Jesus on the cross. Here's our, here's our Christianity. The substitute, Jesus dying on the cross in the place of sinners, that is what grants us the right to enter into the holy place. You see it, verse 19? We're going backwards. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, how did we get confidence to enter the holy place? It is by the blood of Jesus. That blood of Jesus, what does it give us? It gives us confidence to enter the holy place. Your Bible might say boldness to enter the holy place. What does that mean? What does it mean to enter the holy place? The language comes from Judaism. He's writing to people that understood they used to have to worship in a temple and the high priest would go in and only one person could go in and only one time a year. And the preacher's saying, don't forget where you came from. It is the blood of Jesus that makes it so that we can enter into the holy place. We do so with, with confidence, even with boldness. With, you can have fellowship with God without shame, without qualm, without guilt, without fear. Worship God, hopefully, with, without, bur without boredom. This is, this is the truth that... Um, the hymn writer, William Cooper. William Cooper was a depressive. He battled depression all of his life. But he had a, a firm grasp on theology. One of, the things he, one of the hymns he wrote is a song you probably know, that there is a fountain filled with blood. I think there's a fountain filled with blood, and it's drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And the picturesque language, and sinners that are plunged beneath its flood lose all their guilty stains. Without guilt, without hindrance. Why? Because of what Christ has done. It is by the blood of Jesus. You, as a son or a daughter of God, you have the grace-given right to go to God in fellowship, to go to God with, with any care that you have, to go to God with any struggle so that you might be strengthened for the task that is in front of you. Don't forget you're part of a family. Don't forget, don't forget the freedom of being in Christ. Let me give you a third thing to consider. You'll find it right there in the passage. <clears throat> Number three, don't forget the miracle of grace. The miracle of grace. We sing amazing grace sometimes, but I'm afraid oftentimes we forget just how amazing grace really is. Don't forget what it took to save you. Don't forget the miracle. I'll show it to you in verse 20. Let's do this sentence like we did the last one. <clears throat> Let's read the verse left to right. 
but then go back and interpret it from right to left. Let me read it to you. Verse 20. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. That last phrase, through the curtain that is through his flesh. Think with me now. If you know the Bible, you know the gospel story, go go to the end. Go Go to the crucifixion of Jesus and stand there. Through the curtain, that is his flesh. Here's what the writer's doing. He's taking two cataclysmic events. He's bringing them together to build a theological statement. You remember what happened? There at the cross, remember. Stand there at the cross simultaneously, almost simultaneously. He brings us there to show us the power of salvation through his flesh. Jesus on the cross, he's not tied to the cross. His flesh is pierced, nailed through his hands and feet. His bones are not broken. Be careful how when you talk about the broken body of Jesus, because the Bible says that his bones are not broken, that would fulfill the scripture. His flesh was pierced, pierced. Not only that, you know the story of the Roman soldier with the spear walking up to where Jesus is and thrusting that spear into his side and blood and water coming out, the flesh pierced. Stay on that verse. And this writer says that his flesh being pierced is the curtain that is torn. His hands and feet nailed to the cross. The soldier piercing his flesh. Jesus cries out, it is finished. As he does that, if you know the story, we are told in the gospel story that in the temple where the presence of God is walled off, One curtain blocks the view and it is torn from top to bottom as if to say the way is now open. Brothers and sisters, this is more than just the Berlin Wall coming down. This is the free and complete access to God through the cross of Jesus. This is a preacher telling his people, don't abandon this. This is the very best that you'll get. This is the curtain being torn and his flesh being pierced. They have created for us, look at verse 20, going backwards, have created for us a new and living way. Look at at it, let me read it to you. By the new and living way that he, God, opened for us. Here is grace, God doing this for you. Isn't this... Isn't this what Jesus said to Thomas, doubting Thomas? How would you like to be for all eternity to have your name doubting Thomas? And the man had a few questions, and now he is doubting Thomas for the rest of eternity. Thomas is having a conversation with Jesus in John 14. This is before he becomes doubting Thomas. He is asking questions. John 14, 6, Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me, no one comes to the Father except through me. Or, or said another way, free access to God has been given to anyone who will enter through this new and living way in Jesus. Here's a good place for me to give the gospel in an explicit way. When I say gospel, this is what I mean. <clears throat> this is what we mean at Hickory Grove. 
that God, the Bible teaches that God is a holy creator who created all of us in his image. He created you in the image of God. It's why we respect you. You have dignity because of the image of God in your life. But that image of God in you has been disfigured by sin. Sin hasn't made it so that you are sort of strayed far away from God. Sin has made it. Our sin makes it so that we are enemies of God and under condemnation. The Bible says we are dead in sin, deserving hell. We are so separated from God that all we deserve is a penalty, the wrath of God. That's what the Bible teaches. But God is not just just. It's not just judging. God is love, the Bible says. And God loves us in such a way that he sends Jesus, fully God and fully man. Here comes the gospel. How are we saved? We are saved by the perfect life of Jesus. He lived and fulfilled everything God's law said in a way we can't. He did it as a representative. He did it as a man for us. And then here comes the great exchange. He goes to the cross. Why did he die on the cross? At the cross, God takes the wrath that he has saved for sinners, and he puts every bit of that, all the punishment that you ever deserve, is on Jesus. It goes on Jesus at the cross. Jesus gives you his righteousness so that when you are in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of his son, Jesus. That's grace. And if you will receive Christ, that is how you're saved. Don't forget this miracle of grace. Draw strength from the grace God has given you in Jesus. I want to give you one more. Down in verse 21, I want to give you one more um, thing to remember, one more way to draw strength. Verse 21 has uh, ministered to my heart. I think this, that's why I cut the sermon in half and made two sermons. Just personally, as I was studying, if you can't handle God's word and not do something, and I was wrestling through the verse and, 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 and squeezing it, thinking about it, turning it upside down, looking at frontwards, backwards, up, all up under it, and, and finally these nutrients started coming out of this verse. And I want you to see in verse 21, I don't, I'm afraid some of you have forgot. Don't forget, God is in control. You, you've been worried about, look, this is what, we serve a God who's in control. Don't forget that God is in control. This little verse right here in verse 21, we're going to spend the next eight or ten minutes thinking about it. This little verse has given me tremendous peace of mind as a pastor, as a Christian man, as someone in need of God's grace. This little verse right here has made it so that I actually can have real hope in the world. Take a look at it with me. Let me read it and just, just go through it. Verse 21. <clears throat> since, see the second sense, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, there would be a lot to look at in this verse. You might go over here to the front end of that verse and say, let's talk about the word great priest because all of Hebrews is about the priesthood of Jesus. We've talked a lot about that. How Jesus has made the sacrifice for us, how Jesus intercedes for us. Those are great and worthy truths to, to dwell on 
and will minister to your heart. But I want you to see the great priest, what he does. I want you to see what this great priest is doing. You see it, verse 21? Just, we, have to, we have to meditate on it to get it. Is the great priest over the house of God. Over the household of God. Over the family of God. Over the church. Over church members. Over you and me. Right here in verse 21, you know what you have here? Here you have the lordship of Jesus Christ over his church. Here you have the headship of Jesus Christ in his family. Here is the kingship of Jesus in his realm, in his congregation. Here is the, and as the king, he wields the scepter or the sword to his own good pleasure. I want you to think deeply with me because I really do, I really do think this will encourage. I have been encouraged by thinking on this verse. I want to try to explain it and look at it and hold it up. I want to use four different words to explain verse 21 to help us think through and maybe drill down what's in there so that you see this promise is yours. Here's the first word. It's the word sovereignty. Sovereignty. Write it down. Learn to spell it. Sovereignty. Sovereign. R-E-I-G-N. Reign. Sovereign. This text says that this great priest, Jesus, this great priest is over the house of God. He is overruling. He's, he's directing your path. He's healing your pain. He's forgiving your sin. Be careful how you talk about God writing your story. I hear people sometimes say, that God is still writing my story. Look, that is a fine Hallmark card. It is terrible theology. God is not still writing your story. That story has been written from the foundation of the world. There's nothing going on in your life that has caught God off guard. He's had to erase and think, okay, well, I'm going to, what am I going to think about this person today? This is something that is done. This is before time immemorial. I mean, isn't that what Paul says? Think about what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says that you should take this verse and drink it. We are his workmanship. That, that is the Greek word poema. It means poem. It's where we get poem. We are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brothers and sisters, this church generally, and you specifically, are right where he wants you for his own good pleasure and glory and for your flourishing as a Christian. Doesn't, you know the verse. God works all things together. God works all things together for good. Only for a certain group of people. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Get sovereignty in your mind and soul and heart. 
Get it into your vocabulary and let it minister to your soul. Here's the great priest over the house of God. There's another word that will maybe help us think about verse 21. It's the word salvation. Salvation. He is the priest, the great priest over the house of God, over his church, over church members, over you and me. I want to just... I just want to take a category of people right here and talk to you just for a moment. This is for every person that struggles with doubt about your own salvation. That you, you actually try to live right and you think your life is given evidence that you're a Christian, but sometimes inside, because of the sensitivity that God has given you, because of a sensitive soul, you sometimes wonder, you question, not sure that you're saved. Let me tell you what Jesus said about saving you. John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says, think of, just think of it. Jesus says, all that the Father, this is an incredible way to think about salvation. All that the Father has given me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. One of the ways that Jesus describes his followers is the understanding of a gift from God the Father to God the Son, all who the Father gives to me, I'll never get rid of them. I'll hold them forever. I mean, even the way in this passage, I mean, even in Hebrews, in verse 20, even the way uh, salvation is depicted in verse 20, look what it says. That Jesus is the new and living way that He, God, He opened, He did it, opened, He opened for us. God doing this. This is God's grace in Jesus. Have you received the grace of God in Jesus? Sovereignty, salvation. Let me give you another one. To help us understand, verse 21 is the word sanctification sanctification what does that mean sanctification is god making you more like christ you growing as a christian so if you are his if you truly are his possession if you're a christian if you are truly his possession if he has bought you by the blood of jesus He's using every, this is hard to believe, he's using every single thing, every single person, every single pain, every single frustration, every single failure, every offense committed against you, every dark night, every panic attack, every struggle with anxiety, God is using that to smooth. God is using that to sand you down and smooth you out and polish you up in order that he might present you back to God. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. If you're newly, newly married or you want to get married, have a fiance, <clears throat> memorize Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, there's Paul telling how a husband is to love a wife and a wife, a husband, 
the way he explains it is Christ and the church. And what he says Christ is doing for the church, Ephesians 5, verse 27. He says Christ is doing this, why? 527, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. God is not done with you. He uses the terrible week you just came from, or bad month, or terrible year, to humble your heart before Him, to remind you of your desperate need of His grace, so that you might cry out to Him, and that you might eventually one day be presented to God without blemish. Sovereignty, salvation, sanctification. One more word. One more word to help us with verse 21. One last word is the word security, or, or maybe you'd rather write down the word safety, to feel safe. Verse 21 tells us that he is a great priest, a great priest, and he's over the house of God. Who is the house of God? He is over the people of God. He is over you. Look, there's a general sense, at least I feel like this, there's a general sense of dread about the world the way it is right now. I mean, you can't hardly go to Disney World anymore or turn on the television. I mean, especially Christians, there's a sense that, that we're living in a world that hates the God of the Bible. But before you get off into discouragement and longing for some good old day that never existed, remember, this is nothing new for us. Persecution and exclusion and ridicule, being misaligned and misunderstood, that's not new for us. That's home for us. That's our natural habitat. The world is dark, but light shines in darkness. Light don't have to shine in light. Light shines in darkness. We are told that we are to let your light shine before people in such a way that they will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. What did Jesus say to us? Jesus said, in this world, <clears throat> in this world, you'll have many troubles. But you take heart, because I have overcome the world. I'd like to end our time with uh, uh, just a time of prayer and invitation. Won't you join me? As we close in a word of prayer, I want you to soak up, soak up God's grace, live your life with determination. Have you forgotten that you are part of a family? Are you a member of this church? You're a member here? You need to be a part of this family. Don't forget, you're a part of a family, a brother and sister in Christ.
Have you forgotten the freedom that you have in Christ, that in Christ you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and therefore it is now appropriate for you to go into the presence of God? You can, you can approach God and fellowship with God through the new and living way that is Jesus. Don't forget the miracle of God's grace in your life. That grace is the promise of forgiveness and restoration and deep joy. Don't forget. Some of you have lived this week as if God is not in control. God has so worked the events of your life to bring you to this point right here this morning. For some of you, that means that he's done this so that you might turn from your sin and by faith turn to Christ. Some of you just need to pray with a pastor. This morning, this is the last song. It's a worship song. As we sing this song, we do so as believers rejoicing in the grace of God. But there's some of you that can't sing because your heart's not ready. I'm going to ask you to come, come down here to the front. Our pastors here that want to pray with you and talk with you. Or maybe you want to wait till after church, pastors in the lobby, so that we might explain further what does it mean to have Jesus Christ as Lord. Father, thank you for the grace you give us in Jesus. I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would work that into the souls of brothers and sisters in Christ. We ask you to move now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand, please, as we sing together.